Join your hearts with me as we pray for God's illumination on our text and the proclamation of that text. God, our helper, by your Holy Spirit, open our minds that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may be led into your truth and be taught your will for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is the temptations of Christ found in Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Let me rearrange the table. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Got to find the light here. Jesus returned from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit. Notice twice in the first sentence that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Remember that he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and at his baptism, the inauguration into ministry, uh, that John points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then a voice comes out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And from that high moment, the next step is he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus returned from the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. There he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. He ate nothing during these days, and afterwards Jesus was starving. The devil said to him, See, since you are God's son, command this this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus replies, It's written, People won't live only by bread. Next the devil led him to a high place and showed him in a single moment all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said, I will give you the whole domain and the glory of these kingdoms. It's been entrusted to me and I can give it to anyone I want. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil brought him into Jerusalem and stood him at the highest point of the temple as one of the pinnacles of the temple. And it's right next to Kidron Valley. It's 450 feet from the pinnacle down to the rocks below. So he takes him up on the high pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, since you are God's son, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will take you up for for they will take you up for their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. They will take you up in their hands so that you will not uh, hit your foot on a stone. Jesus answered, It's been said, Don't test the Lord your God. And after finishing every temptation, the devil departed from him until the next 
opportunity. The word of the Lord. So today we look at the temptations of Jesus and whether you believe in a personal devil, Satan, who is a being that has the, whose life's work is to bring about human destruction both individually and corporately or not, the truth remains and it can't be denied that in our world there is good and evil, Right? That evil is against the will of God and desires to suck all of humanity into its orbit, which means an orbit without the existence of God. Now, Satan can't force us into his influence, but can and does with great subtlety and stealth tempt us to join his sphere of influence. To overcome his sly enticements, we have to be clear about the nature of temptation. So today, I want to look at the nature of temptations and then give you some hints of how to resist temptation. So, first of all, the nature of temptation. There are many characteristics of temptation, but I want to look at just five very briefly. It's universal, it's possible, it is attractive, it is repetitive, and it targets our vulnerabilities. It is universal. It is the common plight of humanity. Everyone experiences temptation. It is the plight of our species. Even Jesus, who was God in human flesh, underwent temptation. And let me just stop and say here very quickly, temptation is not sin. It's only a sin if you give in to the temptations that are sin. You might be tempted to eat more. That's not necessarily a sin. But if it is something that is against the will of God and you give into it, then it becomes sin. But it's not sin just because you're tempted. So Jesus was tempted, the very son of God. He was tempted. And if he is tempted, do we think that we can escape? No. No hall passes are given. None are so spiritual that they're beyond Temptation. In fact, it's where does Satan spend most of his time tempting? Not with those already in his grasp. Rather, he's trying to get those who believe in God and who are trying to live a righteous moral life, he's trying to get them to stumble. That's where he spends his time. So we have a greater problem than other people who are already within his influence. So we as Christians aren't exempt from the struggle of temptation We face it daily. Jesus struggled with temptation and not even the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we saw in the first line is mentioned twice, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit. Not even the presence of the Holy Spirit guarantees us against temptation. We never get to that point. So it is universal, all of us. We suffer temptation. It is also possible. For a temptation to have real force, it has to be possible. I go to the car wash, and they always have, right there where you sit, a a magazine rack. And it's filled with all kinds of these glossy magazines, 805. You've all seen that. And others. And they have all of the big mansions in our area that are being sold. 
It is not a temptation for me as I look at those uh, great mansions to want to buy a $40 million mansion in Malibu. I couldn't get a loan for $40 million. And if I could, I couldn't afford to do the upkeep or pay the utilities. So that's not a, a temptation. Temptation has to be possible. Now, it's true, temptations are common to all of us. It's universal, but it has to be possible before it becomes a real temptation. Temptation is also attractive. If we succumb to temptation, we will get, or so we think, we will get what we want or desire, or maybe even think that we need. There was a major shift in advertising that took place in the late 50s, early 60s. I'm not sure of the exact timing of that. But before this shift in advertising, advertising in America was simply lauding the benefits of a particular product. It would tell you how good it is and why you should buy it because it's the best product. And then at the same time, they would then contrast and compare and contrast with other products that were inferior. For example, one I remember from my childhood was we were told that um, um, ivory soap is 99% pure. You know, to this day, I don't know what it was pure of, <laughs> but it was pure. And so you should buy ivory soap because it's 99% pure. And these others, they're not. And Plymouth, you should buy it. Don't make them anymore. But they used to be, you know, a low price car. Buy Plymouth because they cost less and they're better shivvies because they get better gas mileage. And so all the advertisement was telling how good the product was comparing it with lesser products. That was the scheme. If you go back and look at old magazines, old newspapers, you'll see listings of the qualities of the particular products they're advertising. It changed somewhere in the 60s to where it made advertising, it, advertising told us, the readers of the advertisers, the ones who see it, that it will make our life better. And if you watch television today or you look at magazines and you see the advertisements, Notice what it's about. It is parables that say, with this product, your life becomes better. Miller Lite. You drink Miller Lite, and if you're a male, you're going to have women hanging on your arms. <laughs> and if you drive a BMW, you're going to have the ultimate driving experience. And who doesn't want that? An ultimate driving experience. So advertisement is simply to say, this product will help you in your life and make your life better. They don't tell you how good the product is. They tell you simply that it's going to change your life. So don't you want it? Sure you do. Of course you do. See, the advertising understood you want something to buy, they have to make it attractive to your life. Use luster shampoo and you'll have beautiful hair. There will be a such sheen that your enemies will hate you. And if you're a woman, all the men will love you. So the devil doesn't approach a person with offers of personal or domestic or social ruin. No, Satan keeps that in the fine print of the temptation. 
Here's a clue about temptation. Real temptation is an offer not to fall, but to rise. Your life's going to be better. This is what you need to do. Sexual affairs often happen because needs aren't being met by the spouse. And my coworker will fulfill those needs. My wife doesn't understand me, but Sally does. And if I leave my wife and go with her, my life's going to be so much better. Notice Satan, Satan uses a good in the first temptation with Jesus. He says, you're the son of God. Of course you are. And turn these stones into bread. Just think of how good that would be. Think of the name recognition that Jesus would have. Think of all the followers that would be following because he's turning stones into bread. They wouldn't have to work. This is a good He could solve the world hunger problem simply by turning stones into bread. And the first temptation that Satan comes to Jesus with is for a good thing. Or so he wants to present it that way. So a temptation has to be attractive in order for us to catch us. It also needs to be repetitive and is repetitive. You know the old country western sing song that goes opportunity knocks once and doesn't come back? That's not temptation. Temptation leans on the doorbell. And it comes back again and again and again. You see, excuse me, Satan concedes the battle but not the war. Satan will be back. He's as persistent as a small child in August that wants an ice cream cone. Temptation isn't like opportunity. It comes back and back again and again. So temptation is common to us all. It's part of our humanity. It is pervasive. It is everywhere. It is possible. It is attractive. It is repetitive. And it targets our vulnerabilities. Notice when Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus was tired. He had been sleepless for 40 days and he was hungry. And as our translation said, he was starving. And that's when Satan launches his attack. When Jesus is the most vulnerable. So we must know where and when we are most vulnerable to temptation. But let me give you a little caution here. You also have to be careful because your strengths can become the points of your vulnerability. In in Screwtape Letters, which is C.S. Lewis' little book on uh, spirituality, it's a wonderful, it's it's a story. And the story is that Screwtape is a senior demon, and he's writing letters to Wormwood, who's a novice demon, and he's wanting to help him tempt this new Christian so that he can get the Christian to drop his faith. And so Screwtape is writing his letters, and so the the book is the letters of Screwtape to Wormwood. And in that, uh, C.S. Lewis has uh, Screwtape say to to Wormwood uh, not to make a frontal attack on this new Christian, but be a little more subtle. For example, he suggests to Wormwood Use the subject's strengths against him. 
And then he gives two examples. He says, the young man likes to read. Well, have him read the Bible. Because then he'll begin telling people about how he reads the Bible. He'll become proud of reading the Bible. And you know what goes before a fall. Pride. And then he says, use his humility. again. He's naturally humble young man. He says, use his humility against him. Help him notice his humility. And he will become proud of his humility. And his strength becomes a weakness and a point of vulnerability. So be aware of your weaknesses, but also of your strengths and how they can be turned into temptations. So the nature of temptation is that it is pervasive, it is possible, it is attractive, repetitive, and it targets our vulnerabilities. Now, the question remains, all right, we all agree we are tempted. That's a part of our human life. So the next step is, uh, we want to be different than Mae West, who said, I can resist anything except temptation. We want to be those people who can resist it. So how do we resist temptation? Well, let me give you just three clues. The first one is, stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who knows the way through the labyrinth of temptation. Scripture tells us he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Now, who would you want to follow on the bony back trail in the Santa Monica Mountains? Eric, who's hiked it, has been there, or someone who's never been on the trail? It's obvious. You want someone who's been there. We stay close to Jesus because he's the only one who knows the way through this, this morass of temptation. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by God. And he shows us that we can develop spiritual muscles to hold off temptation. So stay close to Jesus because he's the model, he's the example, he's the guide through temptation. The next little clue is in the help of resisting temptation is to know yourself. It goes back to the point of your, of your vulnerabilities. What are your weaknesses? But also know your strengths, as I said. But ask yourself, where are the places I should not go? What are the situations I should not put myself into? Who are the people that bring the worst out in me that I shouldn't be around? You ask yourselves those questions and you begin to protect yourself from uh, temptation. Martin Luther said, I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can keep it from making a nest in my hair. So the way you keep that bird from making a nest in your hair is don't put yourself into the places with the people and in the situations that will lead you into temptation. And Martin Luther goes on and says that when you're in temptation, flee. That's it. Get out of there. So you know yourself. 
If I love chocolates and I'm a diabetic, I probably shouldn't go into a C's candy store. So the third hint or help in overcoming temptation, warding off temptation, besides staying close to Jesus, knowing your your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, uh, is to know Scripture. You notice that three times Jesus is tempted. Three times Satan answers him by quoting Scripture. Does that say something about the importance of knowing Scripture? It does. Satan says, oh, you're the son of God. Surely you're the son of God. Then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, people shall not live by bread alone. There's other things that are more important. And then Satan says, worship me and all the nations of the world will be yours. By the way, that, he's quoting scripture there, and it's a lie. Satan doesn't own all of the domains and the, and the kingdoms of the world. You see, in, in Christianity, we do not believe that there's equal and opposite forces battling it out. There's good and there's evil. And they're in a cosmic battle, and we're, we're on the sidelines, in the stands, waiting to find out who wins. That is not Christian theology. Christian theology believes that there is one sovereign Lord of the universe and of human history, And that Lord is the creator of all things. And he is in control. Satan has lost. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the cosmic battle that was fought and that Jesus won. He defeated the last enemy that that Satan had, death. And he is the victor. So the battle is over, friends. We, as we relate to Jesus Christ, that's why we stay close to him, by the way. As we relate to and stay close to Jesus, we have his victory that is our victory. That's how we can overcome uh, temptation. But Satan says, worship me and all these kingdoms of the world will be yours. And Jesus responds with scripture. You will worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. And then Satan goes on, quoting more scripture. And he says to him, as the Messiah, he said, and he quotes Psalm 91, which we're going to quote as our response after the sermon, part of of Psalm 91. So Satan's quoting from Psalm 91, which says that, that God will take his, his uh, angels and, and hold you up. And it's about the Messiah, he's holding the Messiah up. And so Satan says, so I'm going to take you up on this, this pinnacle here, and I want you to throw yourself down, and I want you to show the world that you indeed are the Messiah and that no harm will come to you. You won't even stub your toe because God will give his, his angels care over you and they will lift you up and you won't stub your toe. And he says this to Jesus. He, said, he reminds him from Psalm 91, it's God's angels will be watching over you. So throw yourself down and prove that what God says is accurate and truthful. And Jesus responds, it is written, don't put the Lord to a test, to the test. 
In other words, what he means here is don't put God into a place where he must act miraculously to prove what he said is true. When you do, you're out of the will of God. There's a little deeper mystery here that Satan misses in this whole thing. And that's the divine mystery that divine rescue may come through suffering and death. Satan misses that. And we know that's how our victory came. Through the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Paul in his writings to the, in the Ephesians. He's instructing them. He's written his great theological treatise in Ephesians. <clears throat> and then he comes to the end and he's giving them practical advice. And he says to them, to be strengthened by the Lord and his powerful strength, put on God's armor so that you can make a stand against the tricks of the devil. And then he lists what he calls the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the sandals of the gospel. And then the last one he mentions, he says to them, to be um, put on that, okay, where is it? There it is. Uh, so the last piece of armor, he said, is to put on the sword of the Spirit, and then Paul interprets for us what that is. He says, which is the Word of God. So Paul is instructing his Ephesian friends, if you want to remain strong in the Lord, if you want to overcome temptation, then put on all the armor of God. And how do you do that? By reading Scripture. Why do you read the Bible? Sure, there's all kinds of moral guidance there. There's commandments that we're to do to live our lives. There's guidance. But you know why we read the Bible? Above all else. To know God. That's why we read it. Because as we read scripture, a 4D full color picture comes of God and we begin to see who God is and what God is like. And we find that he's the God who created us in his image. And that's so important for humanity, for us to know we're made in the image of God. That gives us all worth. Every human being created in the image of God has great worth. We find that he's a God who cares, who loves, who will not let us go, who holds on to us and won't let us go. He's a God continually strives with us to protect us to put a hedge around us that protects have you seen that video on YouTube of the pride of lionesses there's like five of them who attack a, a lone um, buffalo calf there's a herd large herd of buffalo 
and one little calf is on the edge and these five lionesses work that calf out away from the rest of the herd and they attack the baby buffalo. Well, the buffaloes come and they try to, to chase the lionesses away, but they can't. And so they go back into their herd and there's one lone buffalo who turns around and walks back and begins thrashing his horns and throwing those lionesses away. Comes down to one who has a grasp on the hindquarters of that buffalo calf. And he picks it up with his horns and tosses it 15 feet into the air. Comes down, hits the ground, and all the lionesses scatter. That's a picture of God. who is like a mother buffalo protecting her calf. So when we know that we're the beloved children of God, created in his image, watched over by God, and protected with the fierceness of a wild animal, then we can fight the good fight, and we can resist temptation from the evil one. So what is the nature of temptation? Well, the nature of temptation, it's it's universal. It's all of us. It is something that is persistent. It is attractive. It is our vulnerabilities. And it has to be possible. But we have the means at our disposal to resist. Stay close to Jesus because he knows the way through the temptation. Know your vulnerabilities and where you should stay away. And then read scripture so that you know God. Amen.